You're listening to audio from Grove Park Baptist Church. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.groveparkchurch.net. invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to Haggai chapter number 1. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I can't wait to hear a sermon from Haggai? It's like in the top 10 list, right? It's like, I like to refer to these prophets as flyovers. We just fly over them oftentimes on our way to Matthew or to, to Luke or John or the New Testament. But there's a lot here for us to consider. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Haggai and Zechariah as we continue our focus on rebuilding according to spec. Haggai chapter 1 is where we are this morning. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for your word which we know to be all truth. The flower fades, the grass withers, but your word stands forever. And Lord, as we focus this morning on a passage of scripture that maybe we've never encountered before, some of us, we pray, Lord, that you, by the power of your spirit, would quicken it in our hearts, that we would understand, Lord, what it is that you're trying to say to us, and that, Lord, it would stir us on to greater accomplishments for you, for the greater manifestation of your glory, and for the expansion of your kingdom. Father, Bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most enduring television shows in American history is The Twilight Zone. It was ranked in 2013 by the Writers Guild of America as the third best written series ever and by TV Guide in the same year as the fifth best TV series ever. It's a show, if you're not familiar with it, which takes the viewer into a different reality with such clarity that it causes one to consider our own reality and how we perceive and engage with it. Rod Serling, its creator, started each episode with a monologue that began with some derivation of the phrase presented for your consideration. One of the consistent episodes consistently ranked as the best and most beloved episode of The Twilight Zone, and my personal favorite is episode eight, and it's entitled Time Enough at Last. In it, Burgess Meredith plays a bank teller in the episode who is hounded by all he knows, his boss at work, his wife, everyone, 
because he loves to read and no one gives him time to read. One day he's taking his lunch break in the bank vault there where he works and he's reading the newspaper and it is talking about a very powerful new uh, nuclear bomb that exists when suddenly he feels the earth shake beneath him and he is knocked unconscious. When he comes to, he leaves the vault to discover that a nuclear bomb has exploded and everyone he knows is dead and he is alone. He's quite despairing for a minute or two, but then he realizes that he can now read unconstrained without worry forever. I love that thought. So he walks to the, his local library and he goes through and he catalogs all the books in the library that he's ever wanted to read, may ever be interested in reading. He puts them in the order that he wants to read them. He goes and grabs the first book and as he's walking to where he's going to sit and read, he trips, his glasses fall off and shatter irreparably. Now here's the problem. His eyesight is so bad that glasses are a necessity and now he can't read any of these books. He falls into despair once more exclaiming, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now, there was, was all the time I needed. It's not fair, it's not fair. I love this episode. Partly because if my glasses were to shatter, I wouldn't be able to read all my books. So I feel his pain. You know, I can't help but think this morning of the Twilight Zone as I read these opening lines of Haggai's message. According to, to verse 1, it's August the 29th, 520 B.C. It's been 16 years since Ezra 424, where we left off last week, where the rebuilding of the temple ceased. Really, the temple is still just a heap of rubble. The exiles have returned now from the land to the land of milk and honey, a land that they had pined for, and God has miraculously orchestrated in a way that only he can their return to this land through the downfall of one kingdom and the rising up of another. But in true Twilight Zone fashion, their return home is nothing like they expect it to be. Notice verse number six. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. They're back to everywhere they want to be. Everything should be uh, wine and roses, right? But, but nothing is like they expect it to be. They, they can't 
put on enough clothes to stay warm. They, they make money, but it's gone before they understand how. They, they uh, sow much, but harvest little. They, they eat much, but they don't ever have enough. They are disquieted in their souls because nothing is going right. And God says to them, I present for your consideration a few things. He says to them in verse number five and seven, for them to consider their ways. Notice verse five, he says, now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse number seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He is trying to drive a point home to them where he wants them to set their heart upon, to focus clearly on their lifestyle, not just their spiritual lifestyle, their entire lifestyle, how they live, what they do, how they spend their money, how they spend their time. But he wants them to consider everything. He wants them to get down into the nitty gritty of their life. You know, all those, those subterranean levels of our life that we don't ever like to explore. He says, I want you to get down into them and see how they match up. Beloved, it's an endeavor that would behoove us to embark upon as well this morning. The ancient Greeks taught that an unexamined life was not worth living. And yet how often is it that you and I live our lives in blissful ignorance of what is truly inside of us? What truly makes us tick? Why we do the things that we do? God invites us, just as he does the children of Israel this morning, to consider our ways. And he provides for us a framework to guide these considerations here in this first sermon of Haggai in chapter number one. One of the first things that God calls us to examine is whether our priorities match his priorities. Look with me at verses two through four. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? As verse 8 will tell us shortly, God is concerned about his glory. And as long as the temple is left in ruins, his glory cannot be shown forth. Now the children of Israel seem to have all the time they need to make their own houses look nice. Did you notice that? You live in your paneled houses, but my house lies in ruins. You have plenty of time for that. But do you have time to let my glory shone forth within you? Do you let my glory show forth as your concerns or my concerns? Are you worried about the same things that I'm worried about, God says? Are you worried about, as Howard has already stated this morning, the widow and the orphan? Are you worried about the strangers among us who might not know the ways of God and whether or not they are taught them or shown them? Beloved, 
You and I make time for everything we want to make time for. We make time to advance our cause. But do we make time to advance God's? Do we structure our life around what God is calling us to instead of trying to fit God in to meet our priorities? Do our priorities match his? Secondly, God asked, what is the state of your life? Notice with me verse six. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. In other words, do you find fulfillment in your life? Do you find satisfaction in your walk with God? Do you live a life of abundance? Now hear me. I'm not trying to make an argument for some health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not going to call it a gospel. It's a heresy. I'm not going to say that. That's not what I'm arguing this morning. But do you live a life where you feel satisfied because you feel satisfied because you feel you're doing what God has called you to do so that you have enough? What Paul said to the church at Philippi is the secret to being content that God will supply everything. Certainly the children of Israel based on the text here this morning are leading an unfulfilled life but they're not taking the time to explore why. They're not taking the time to explore why when they eat they're not satisfied. They're not taking the time to say that why am I never warm? Why is it I just never seem to have my fill? They are simply content in living what Thoreau called a life of quiet desperation. But beloved, I do not see anywhere in the scriptures where God calls us to lead such a life. God calls us to have an abundant life, John 10 tells us. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, Jesus said. How full is your life? How satisfied with God are you? Not simply how satisfied in your life with God are you, but does your life bring pleasure to God? Notice verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. He says, go up and work like I've called you to. Be obedient to the task that I have called you to, to rebuild the temple, that I may have pleasure in it. If you read over in Zechariah 1, Chapter four, uh, verse 1, chapter 4, you'll find, Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Beloved, we bring pleasure to God when we're obedient to what he is calling us to do. The text from Zechariah is preached roughly two months after this sermon here in Haggai. And the question for us is, do we bring pleasure to God? 
Do we bring pleasure to God because we're being obedient to what it is that he is calling us to? For those of you who are parents, you know how nice it is when you go to the nursery and pick up your child and you ask, how were they today? I confess to you, I always got nervous when I'd have to go pick Scarlett up at daycare. Because I'd say, how was she today? And when they said, oh, she was great. She ate everything. She, didn't, she did everything we told her to. I'd go, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Scarlet doing what she is supposed to do brings me great pleasure. Do we not think that our good, good father doesn't take pleasure in us doing what we're supposed to do? Even in its most basic, simple things, you say, oh, I don't know what God's calling me to. Yes, you do. Don't play that way. Yes, you do. He has given us an entire guidebook of how he wants us to live, what he wants us to do. He starts off by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. How are you doing with that? Start there. Well, that's hard enough sometimes, right? But beloved, when you start pursuing it, it brings pleasure to God. Does your life bring pleasure to God? Finally, do you ever stop and ask yourself why nothing turns out as planned? Look with me at verses 9 through 11. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth was, has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on all their labors. In other words... You keep searching around wondering why things aren't going out according to the plan. And the simple answer is you're not being obedient to what I've called you to. Now, I understand something, beloved. I understand. Life happens. Life happens to all of us. But when life continues to happen at such a rate that it should trigger in our mind, maybe I'm not doing something right, we need to pay attention to that. I was visiting someone in my, our former church one time and their mother was also a member of our church and, and they had been, her, their mother had been sick and they hadn't been able to find out what's wrong, hadn't been able to find out what's wrong, hadn't been able to find out what's wrong. And, and the, the daughter said, preacher, I asked her a question and I probably made her mad. I said, well, what did you ask her? I said, mom, you've been sick with all this stuff. And they can't find an answer. Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? Now, most of us would sit here and think to ourselves, I would never ask that question, right? Maybe that's the first question we need to ask sometimes. When things just aren't going right and everything we put our hand to seems to fall apart because certainly that is what Haggai is saying here. 
Haggai is saying, everything that you do doesn't work out. Why? Because I'm trying to get your attention. Beloved, this morning, is God trying to get your attention? And if so, what's he trying to tell you? You know, I've laid out these guidelines this morning from Haggai chapter number one. The question is, how do you match up? How do you match up on all these things? What's God trying to say to you this morning? You see, God's not simply saying here, rebuild the temple and all will be well. He's trying to address a deeper issue because they're, you see, they're not rebuilding the temple. And while this 16 years has been going on, there has been tremendous upheaval in the world around them. They have gone through three different emperors in the Persian Empire. There's a lot going on that they could have taken advantage of, but they haven't. They followed their own pursuits. And God's simply saying to them, what I'm trying to get your attention on is not the temple. It's the state of your soul. You see, their lack of obedience was indicative of the state of their soul. It's a spiritual issue he's trying to address here. It's a spiritual issue on the fact that they are not concerned about God's glory. It's a spiritual issue on their fact that they are not concerned with obeying what God is calling them to do. It's important for us to remember that. As we are going through this process of rebuilding not simply our facilities, but rebuilding our congregation. We must take stock of our own spiritual lives. We must take stock of our own spiritual lives so that we know where it is in us that as God blesses and, and God re rebuilds us, that we are not leaving landmines behind for someone to trip over that we could tend to right now by addressing spiritual problems in our own lives. Because why? We could go through the whole process of rebuilding, beloved, but if we haven't changed, if we haven't changed the things that God's calling us to change with inside each of our souls. I hate to put it in the vernacular, but it makes the point clear. The only thing we have done is put lipstick on a pig. What does that mean? I mean, I think we're all pigs. No, but I'm saying if you put lipstick on a pig, what happens? You still got a pig. You can barbecue it. You can do whatever you want to it, but you still got a pig. You can make it look all pretty, but you still got a pig. God's calling us to rebuild and he's calling us to rebuild and it starts within each of our hearts to take care of what God is calling each of us to tend to within each of our souls. So that when we have all this beautiful stuff rebuilt, that we are prepared for what God sends us. So again, how are you doing? 
Take your worship bulletin this morning, beloved, and pull out the insert that is contained within. We are rebuilding for the heart of Alamance. Our goal is to reach all in Alamance County for the kingdom of God. We are rebuilding better, stronger, and bolder. And we place for your consideration this morning four subjects for you to consider how you're doing. Giving, discipleship, service, and witness. Now, I confess to you, I hesitated to put giving because we have one of the most generous churches I've ever known. We are very faithful people when it comes to giving. But I can't help but say that maybe some of us can do better. So we have to give that opportunity. Maybe some of us can do more. We have to give that opportunity. Maybe this morning where it is that you are lacking most is in your discipleship. Are you taking time to learn about God? Are you taking time to be in a small group? Are you taking time to to find out more about what God is saying to you so that you can be more obedient? Maybe what God is speaking to you about this morning is your service. Maybe now is the time that you say, you know what, I'm not going to simply be a Sunday morning Christian anymore. But I want to go and do more for the kingdom. I want my service to God to be better. And so you say, I want to do that. Maybe what you're going to say, I want to do that in is being part of a, a new ministry we have. Or maybe it's part of being an old ministry. You know, in the a, in a next couple of weeks, Howard's going to announce a new initiative that we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights to reach Grove Park Elementary. And we're going to need everybody we can to help out with that. Because in reaching the next generation, we will secure Grove Park to continue to reach the heart of Alamance. And so maybe God's saying to you, Hey, you say you, you've been praying for, for the next generation? Here's something that you can put your feet to. Maybe, and I sincerely hope and pray this is the case for all of us, that we're being called to be bolder in our witness. Bolder. To invite people to take to heart the one or the 20. You can do it anywhere. And so maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to covenant with God to say, God, I'm going to invite one person a month for here on out to Grove Park. Maybe I'm going to invite two people a month. You say, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, you can. I'm confident we can all do at least one. I'm reminded of the story of the pastor of Moody Church who was on the Titanic sailing to become pastor of Moody Church. 
And the Titanic, as we know, sank. And he went from lifeboat to lifeboat out there in the frigid water to the North Atlantic. And he would just call out to people, do you know Jesus? That point of his life, I would think he would be concerned about surviving. Guess what? He died. But he was concerned about the priorities and saying one more invite, one more invite. If that man can do it, guess what? You and I can. You and I can. Because all it takes is an invitation. Now, beloved, we don't want you to fill this out today. We want you to take a little bit. If you were to, to read down on into, say, verse 15 of Haggai chapter 1, you would see on the 24th day of the month and the 6th month and the 2nd year of the king, Darius the king, they went and did. That roughly works out to September the 21st, 520. Remember, this sermon of Haggai's was preached on August the 29th, 520. He gave them about three weeks to figure it out. So guess what? If it was good enough for Haggai, it's good enough for Grove Park. We're going to give you three weeks. On August the 4th, we're going to ask you to return after you have prayed through this and fill this out and to covenant with God again to be better to be stronger, to be bolder. You say, how do I do that? Well, there's a two-point process to that. Zechariah 1.3 gives us one point of it. Once we know where we have gone wrong, Zechariah 1.3 says, therefore says to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, repent. Yes, beloved, some of us may need to repent. Repent for not inviting, repent for not serving, for, for, repent from not having an active discipleship, repent from not giving. We need to repent because the easiest way to come back to God is to repent and turn back. And then we must obey. Haggai 1, 12 through 15 says this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. I realize that when you repent, you may be afraid. And so I leave you with those words that God said through Haggai. I am with you. Beloved, God is with us. And every time you and I step one bit closer to him, we feel him more and more. 
And so the day, the thing for us is as we take on these considerations to return to him, to turn and run and know that he is with us. And when God is with us, no power of hell, no scheme of man can stop him. We do not have to dwell in the twilight zone. We can dwell in the sweet spot of God's obedience. Feel his presence and know he's with us. For your consideration, what is God calling you to today? Let's pray. Father, the scripture says that your spirit stirred. It stirred Zerubbabel, it stirred Joshua, it stirred the people of Israel. And I pray now, Lord, that it would stir Grove Park. The Lord, as we consider our ways, you would show each of us where we fall short of your glory and that Lord with the undergirding of your spirit we would strive more than ever before to walk in your ways Father let us not rest until we have done what you have called us to do Make us feel the the, the pain that you expressed to the children of Israel through Haggai. That we would be obedient. Because we remember your son was obedient for us even to death on the cross. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.